0: We continue on tonight in our series called The Way and uh, for the rest of the year we'll be taking segments of the Sermon on the Mount and having breaks in between. Uh, We're not going to do it every week for a year, Uh, it'll be a bit heavy that way, but we're going to do it in segments. And so I follow on from, uh, from Tim last week when he spoke on the Upside Down Kingdom and the Beatitudes. We're talking about this kingdom of Jesus, this kingdom that is so different from the kingdom of the world, this kingdom where a king invites us to come and participate in his life, that he pours upon us this lavish grace. He pours upon us forgiveness and mercy, and he pours upon us this free gift of coming into his presence, and not only just that we're with him, But he is in us and he pours himself through us and taking the obedience to ourselves and turning around and obeying our king and being, having allegiance and being under the rulership of our king who is Jesus. This kingdom of God is so different from this world where this world would be so much about guns and control and and coercion, and this downward pressure, especially if you're in America, um, <laughs> not here. Uh, but there's this downward pressure of power over, and coerce you, and make you to be moulded into a shape that is so foreign and so difficult. But the kingdom of God is not so much the is not the power over, but it, Jesus comes to bring power under and to lift up, and a power alongside of, and not a power of coercion. But he comes in his grace to bring transformation in our lives, so that there is that transformation to become the people who are pure in heart, the people who mourn about our own sin and want to give ourselves unto uh, the leadership and rulership of God the people who hunger and thirst after righteousness, the people who are peacemakers, the people who are meek, who come under and think of others more highly than they think of themselves, who think of themselves less. These people who would stand so much in this kingdom that they would be prepared to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is a different kingdom, isn't it? And... As we continue in this study and as we take a big picture of this, we realize that God's grace comes upon us first and then living blessed comes second, whereas the world is so different. If you want the reward, you've got to act right. God says, I'm good and I want to pour myself out in you because I'm good and therefore... The reward is him, is the forgiveness, is the mercy, is the grace. Why? Because he's good, not because we're good first. And I remember uh, a lady came to me and, who I'd known for a long time and talked to me about my leukemia treatment. And, and she discovered and we chatted about my being um, in full remission because of the treatment. And she said, oh, isn't God good? And I said, yep. You know, if I died, he'd still be good. And she went, oh, yeah, that's right. So it's not conditional upon my healing. It's not conditional upon the favor. The condition, there's no condition of him being good because that's who he is. And so as we continue this study in the Sermon on the Mount, we can discover that there is this certain paradox in this kingdom about us as his people, about us kingdom people, about us followers or apprentices or disciples of Jesus. On the one hand, we are no different from anyone else. But on the other hand, we're completely different from everyone else. So on the one hand, we need God. We all need God to show himself to us. We all need his grace. We all need his forgiveness. We all need his mercy. We all need him. We all need to know him so that we would be with him forever. And, and it's not just that's not the goal, but the goal is that we would live life with him and his life would live, be through us. We speak with other people who are the same as us, they're human beings, they're created beings, they're the same, we have that common ground. But on the other hand, the disciple is completely different to everyone else, simply because God is different to everyone else. God is holy, everything else is corrupt. See, you don't become a Christian by believing all the facts about God. Satan knows all the facts about God. You become a Christian by being united with Jesus, by being given the gift of union with him, spiritual union with him. If you're a disciple of Jesus, there is this connectedness with God. Because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of who he is, he has poured that out to us and he invites us into his kingdom. He invites us to become A disciple. And so then he is the one that unites us with him. And so, because God is different from the world, his disciples are different from the world, you see. Because of that being united with Christ, there is a differentness about us. We have a reading today, and we're doing four verses, as I said before, and then there'll be four uh, follow-ups or four applications at the end. There's something true about people of the kingdom that Jesus speaks about. And this is uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, to start with. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, salt... The only thing we know about salt is that we shouldn't have too much, otherwise we get high blood pressure or arteriosclerosis or something like that. So too much sodium is no good for you. You need some sodium, but too much is no good for you. That's all we think about with salt, except that it makes stuff taste good, like potato chips and uh, things like that. But we gotta understand that Jesus uses the metaphor salt because it was a very precious commodity in the time that he used it. And did a little bit of research and understood what is the symbols or what are the meanings of salt that people would have understood and will understand why Jesus said, why he said about salt. But in researching salt, I found that there is lots of different meanings. Salt preserves against decay now, when we live in a, in a world of fridges and freezers, we don't need to salt our meat anymore, unless you have jerky or things like that, but, um, or if you're from South Africa and you have biltong. But um, what they would do to uh, preserve the meat was to rub in the salt in the meat, uh, into the meat, not just like sprinkle over seasoning before you throw it on the barbecue, but really rub it in because the salt would preserve it. It guards against infection. It's a hygiene thing. If you look in Leviticus, I think it's about chapter 16, verse 5. I think that's the reference. It indicates that babies would be rubbed with salt. And you think, that's weird. But it was for a hygiene thing to guard them against infection. And often covenants of salt were used to symbolize everlasting covenants like salt, put in a drink and drink it together, those sorts of things. Um, It also means purity and wisdom. There is a euphemism with a Greek word, uh, salt and wisdom uh, are similar. So when Jesus says you were the salt of the earth, it, it, it could mean that you bring wisdom into the earth. You are the wisdom of the earth. It indicates perfection or hospitality, or durability, or fidelity, or zang and zest, or tang and zest, zang and test, tang and zest, um, which it gives to food, of course. And and also payment, or as gifts. It was such a precious thing that uh, Roman soldiers were often given salt as the payment. And so the word salary comes from the word salt. Interesting, isn't it? Ever heard that saying, he's worth his salt? That comes from there. Because they were paid in salt, they're worth their salt. And then often it was so precious it was given as birthday gifts. So this morning when I shared this, Wesley was here and we've all decided at Wesley's birthday party next week we're all going to give him salt. And Sick. (laughs) That's a good payment, Wesley. Be appreciative, brother. And Jesus, when he says to us, when he brings this teaching, he doesn't say, hey, guys, um, you're going to be salt or you should strive to be salt. He says, you are salt. So he would say to you, you are the salt of the earth. Think about who he was speaking to. He's speaking on this hill there's all crowds and then he went up the hill and he's speaking to his disciples, this motley crew of blokes that he'd just called off the beach, who are fishermen, who we used to salt, but they probably were very salty and maybe you should have had an icebreaker tonight, lick the person's cheek next to you and see how salty they are. I thought that that earlier and I should have told you, but anyway... um, we don't know these guys who we picked off the, up off the beach. We don't know their backgrounds except for their occupations. We don't know what they've done in their lives. You see, Jesus just doesn't, doesn't just call the educated and the refined, although he does. He doesn't just call those who are the capable, seemingly capable ones. He calls people of various backgrounds to come under the rule of his kingdom to be those whose lives are transformed, those by his life are to be poor in spirit, by his life are to mourn about their sin, by his life who realize their need of God, by his life who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who, who um, are peacemakers, and even those who are ready to be persecuted what they believe, for righteousness' sake. See, the power and influence of the kingdom of God is through these people, this motley crew, these kingdom people. And the kingdom people is they come under the kingdom, the kingship of Jesus. These people who are ordinary people with dark pasts, These people who have different occupations, who are unschooled. These people who have questionable judgment, who have lots of issues, whose egos get in the way, who try to control everything, who are different or are at different stages in their lives. People of the kingdom, this upside-down kingdom, are people from everywhere, and it doesn't matter what occupation. It doesn't matter where you are. God, or Jesus, invites us into his kingdom so that he transforms us into the people who will bring him glory. These are the people who Jesus chooses. It's the King Davids of life who murder people to cover up his adulterous act. It's the Moses, Moseses of life. How do you have a plural of Moses? Moses, Moses of life, who killed the Egyptian soldier because he's belting up on a Jew. It's the Rahab's of life, who's a prostitute but is used by God to bring people into Jericho. It's it's the Pauls of life, who kill every Christian he can lay his hand on. It's the tax collector, the banker, the labourer. It's the prostitute. It's whoever. Jesus' invitation is for us to be a kingdom person, to come into his kingdom. That's the invitation of Jesus. No matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, it's the invitation of Jesus. And then when we are kingdom people... We become salty. By implication, Jesus is saying that the world must be corrupt if we are salt. And there's the need of salt in the world. That the world is decaying and by you being in the world, you bring all of the actions of this salt or this metaphor, if you like, into the world. That's you. Salt that's not salty is useless, isn't it? It just becomes white granular stuff or pink Himalayan stuff. Don't you love that pink Himalayan stuff? They say, it's 25,000 years old, but by the time it gets in the bottle, you've only got about six months to use it. How lucky are we that we got in on the last six months? Best before. We are the most blessed people. We got in at the last bit. Anyway... See, salt, if it's useless, is deserved to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, when he says that to people, we think, yeah, so, what's that? All we think about is a little salt shaker or something. We think, yeah, what's the big deal? When he speaks to the people of his day, they have a picture in their mind. If you read through the Old Testament and the temple, it says that when the sacrifices were brought into the temple, they were to be seasoned with salt. So in the temple, there's this great big pile of salt. But for the Jews, it had an expiration date. It had an end date, just like the Himalayan white salt. I wonder if they had it in bottles. Probably not. Um, and, and it had an expiration date, and also it would get uh, dirt in it and stuff, and so it would become corrupted. And so when it was useless, they would take the salt out of the temple, and they would, they would spread it out on the steps of the temple... To absorb moisture on the steps so that when people trod up the steps, then they wouldn't slip. It was a non-slip thing. That's what the salt was used for. So trampled underfoot, you understand. So that was in their mind when he gave that picture. Now, out of that picture, I want to say your life can be used to season the world or you... Or it can be your life can be the message for others of what not to do. So your life can be used as a season for the world around you to bring that saltiness of preservation, to bring that saltiness of covenant, to bring that saltiness of purification, to bring that saltiness of wisdom. Or it can be used as a message for others of what not to do or to keep them from falling. Can, what do you reckon, can us being in the world really make a difference anyway? With a bunch of Christian people forming the body of Christ, and we're not talking about just one little local church, we're talking about the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, can the body of Christ make a difference in the world? Yes, I believe so. Look at this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Most competent historians are agreed in saying that what saved England from a revolution such as that experienced in France at the end of the 18th century was nothing but the evangelical revival. This was not because anything was done directly, but because masses of individuals had become Christians and were living this better life and had this higher outlook. I wonder... If Rivers Church of Christ ceased to exist today, would the community of Kalanga even notice that it had gone? For those 2,500 people who came and got food from us last year, I'm sure they would notice. But would they notice? As people of his kingdom, we're not just looking for his kingdom to come, one day. See, Christianity is not about, now we got saved and now we're going to heaven. No, the the Lord's Prayer said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in the very same way that it is in heaven. Christians are called not for the evacuation. The Christian church is called for the occupation. To bring heaven to earth now through the influence of Jesus' life, through the church and through individuals, through these salty bunch of motley crew. To bring preservation and purity, to bring all of these things into the world and to bring transformation. And this is the message of the gospel. This is the grace in which Jesus pours lavishly out upon us. this is pretty good stuff, that he would do this. Wherever God's people influenced by his grace are, the atmosphere changes. But what if we become inward-looking? And just exist to look after ourselves. What happens if we become the holy club, who like the rotary club, who meet on Sunday in a building we call a church? And I really get upset about this because this building is not a church. This building is a building. And we don't come to church. We come to meet together because we are the church. I'm sorry, I'm getting on my soapbox. That just gets under my skin. Anyway. What happens if we just become like that? We can become useless and of no effect in the world. You see, without the saltiness of God's people, the body of Christ, the world turns more rotten. Not only are you the salt of the earth, you are also the light of the world. And here's the other verses, three verses. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Where the salt works secretly, the light works openly. And this implies that the world is in complete darkness. Have you ever been in a place of complete darkness? I remember years ago, before I got married and I travelled with my mum and dad, we were out in the Northern Territory. And we travelled and stayed in a, a motel that was at the turnoff to go to Uluru, or Ayers Rock, as we called it in those days. And uh, at night time I took a bit of a walk down the highway, because you couldn't, there wasn't that many cars. Uh, and when I walked out of the glow of the motel light... It was so dark that I put my hand up to my face, just inches away, and I couldn't see my hand. Have you ever seen it been in dark like that? It's real in Africa, places where there's no lights. But if you come closer to the city, here's this glow in the in the in the sky, and so it's not as dark. Darkness is only the absence of light, isn't it? When the house is dark, you put on the light so that you don't stumble around and kick your toe on the coffee table, Hey, eh? or on the kitchen table or on the kitchen bench. You turn the light on so everybody can see where they're going, don't you? Yeah. Unless you really know where everything else is. Let your light shine before others, he says. How are we to let our light shine before others? by the good works the good deeds that we do by acting in those ways in the pure in heart by acting in those in, by living the people of the as people of the kingdom the people who are merciful the people who are peacemakers those people these blessed people by living the blessed people life in the kingdom under the king kingship rule of Jesus And as a result, being those people, doing those things, those good works, for what purpose? To bring glory to God and not ourselves. And that's what meek means. Do your works bring glory to God? Do you refuse to rob your employer by not being lazy on the job? Or by not taking things which don't belong to you? Do you, any employers here? Well, I can say it without, as an employer, do you rob your employees but not paying them correctly or by being stingy so your profit can be more? Are you generous in your concern for your neighbours? Do you stand for what you know is right rather than taking the back seat? And let me say, my friends, we are in a culture that is, as Isaiah says in chapter 5, woe to those who make good evil and evil good. We are in a culture that is twisting it to make things which are good. We know that are good, God's good, to be regarded as evil and vice versa. We know that. Are you going to be standing for what is right then rather, and rather than taking the back seat? And do you try to get your own way and rather others? at others? What your, what's your life like? Do your works or do your good deeds bring glory to God? Does your behaviour do that? Look at this. This is about a guy called uh, Francois Fenelon. I think that's how, you say his, I know that's how you say his first name. He's a French archbishop. He was a theologian, a poet, and a writer. It is said that his communion with God was such that his face shined with divine radiance. A religious sceptic who was compelled to spend the night in an inn with Fenelon uh, hurried away the next morning saying, if I spend another night with that man, I'll be a Christian in spite of myself because of the influence of the man. I think it, and I said this morning, I think it was uh, Charles Finney, That I read of years ago, who would walk into who was known to walk into an auditorium and walk down the aisle of the auditorium. And as he walked down the aisle, people would just be falling to their knees in repentance and asking God forgiveness and bowing, not because of Charles Finney, but because of the presence of God that came in. Imagine if this bunch of Motley crew called Rivers, or North Pine Baptist, or Pine Rivers Uniting, or Living Faith Lutheran, or and all of us together, this motley bunch of kingdom people who love our king were well, like that. Maybe there would be a mass exodus from Kalangra, I don't know, but there would be an influence in our community that would be transformational, wouldn't there? In er- and then in every place we go, no matter what we do, we are the people of God Representatives of the king, living lives that will be salt and light into people's lives around us, into their depth of darkness, into the place where they're rotting and decaying by the sin of the world, into their place where they're falling to bits, into the place where they're emotionally damaged, into the places where they're hungry, into the places where they need clothing, into the places where they just need someone to love them, please. Everywhere we go, we will be those people to see people and to love people with the eyes of Jesus and with the love of Jesus that is only possible by him enabling us, by his grace, transforming us by that life that he injects or imbibes into us, transforming us as we grow closer to him in deeper relationship. Sinclair Ferguson He's another guy I like reading sometimes. He said, fulfilling this plan that the whole of our lives be wholeheartedly and unceasingly devoted to him and his service, that devotion will cost us everything. But surely those who are the light of the world will give nothing less for him who is the light that darkness can never overcome. That's us. And so John Stott, in his work on the Sermon on the Mount, offers us three powerful ways that Christians can be salt and light. Firstly, the power of prayer. And I want to change this a little bit to being the people of prayer. The power of prayer and the people of prayer. And in 1 Timothy 2, it says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings kings, And for all of those in authority, that we may live peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. As kingdom people, we are called to be people in the power of prayer, praying for our community, praying for our nation, praying for our world, crying out to God that he might bring his transformation through us. That we would be that salt in the earth and that light in the darkness. Secondly, the power of truth, the people of truth. We should not be be ashamed of the gospel. We should not be ashamed because it's true. We should not be ashamed of Jesus because he's our king. We should stand on the rooftops and on the hilltops and proclaim him, even just by our good deeds to glorify our father in heaven, but to be his people on show. And not hiding away. For it says there in Second Corinthians 13, For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Thirdly, the power of example or the people of example. While the truth is powerful when it's argued, it is more powerful when it's exhibited. Thank you to John Stott for that. Isn't that true? And the fourth thing is this, the power of solidarity. Jesus has called us and has established us to be his body on this earth. Now, that's not exclusively to one little local church. As I mentioned before, it includes the whole of the body of Christ. He has established us to be his body on to bring heaven to earth, to bring the will of heaven as it is in heaven to the earth. To anticipate the coming kingdom, yes, but to live in the present kingdom. To live in the king under the kingship of Jesus now. And to be those people, as we read so many times in the Beatitudes. This American uh, sociologist said this. We should not underestimate the significance of the small group of people who have a vision of a just and gentle world. The quality of a whole culture may be changed when 2% of its people have a new vision. Wow, 2%? Christians, we are more than 2% in the Australian culture. Let's be countercultural and stand in the gospel and in the grace of our Lord Jesus. That's my challenge to us today, that we would be a people of prayer in the power of prayer, people of truth in the power of truth, people of example in the power of that example, and the people of solidarity in, this, in the power of solidarity. This is the people of the kingdom, different people, not half-hearted people but people who go all the way, who'll stand in truth, people who'll pray and who'll be together. Will you be that people? Jesus invites you into his kingdom. He says, come in. And he's not saying, you've got to do this before you get here. Because if we remember, Jesus spoke to the adulterous woman at the well and he says, I do not condemn you, go therefore and don't sin anymore. In our, in our estimation, we often say, now don't sin anymore, then we won't condemn you. This is the upside down kingdom. I do not condemn you, go therefore and don't sin. Are we going to be a people like that who bring that to other people's lives? Let's pray. Jesus, this is really confronting in so many ways when we understand what you have said when we understand Lord that we are indeed the salt of the earth and the light of the world the preservation agents of a decaying and a corrupt world the lights that shine into the depths of the blackness and darkness of people's lives this is challenging but God we thank you that we don't have to go and do this in the sense that you have already established who we are as salt and in your grace and in your transforming power and in your life imbibed through our life, then it is that we are salt in this earth. Help us, dear God, to always be a people who are seeking after you, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Help us to be those people who are merciful, who are peacemakers. Help us to be those people who mourn over our own sin and give ourselves to you. Help us to be those people, dear Lord, who are poor in spirit. Help us to be those people, dear God. We invite you to transform us to change us because we are people of the kingdom and you are our king. And Father, as we take of communion today, we are taking it not just as a memory of something that was done long ago, but something that is contemporary every day in the sense that is real and true that Jesus did die the effects of his death and resurrection happen all the time right up until now in our lives and as we take this communion tonight we invite you lord jesus again afresh to take the throne of our heart and we say thank you for what you've done (laughs) nothing to do with us but you did it on our behalf because you're good because you love us because you want to forgive us and you want us to walk into that kingdom. Thank you. So as we take this to today, tonight, dear God, we commune with you and with each other over this meal in Jesus' name.